Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about. I want to apologize. We've missed a few weeks. Uh, that is down to me. We've had some personal stuff going on. It is, for once, not laziness or poor planning. So um, thank you for bearing with us. But we are back, and oh my God, are the vibes immaculate. We have so much to talk about. What is... The opposite of Sideshow Bob stepping on rakes, because that is what Tottenham are doing right now with Big Ange Pastacago. We're here this week to discuss an exhilarating late 2-1 win against Sheffield United, and also maybe the 5-2 demolishing of Burnley, since we're playing catch-up. I don't know, maybe. Uh, But first, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify, and make sure to follow us. Uh, on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Uh, now that that's out of the way, let's get to it. Coming to us this week from the set of Florida Geek Club, his podcast dedicated to expanding your mind and bloodying your nose, it's Brian Ashlock. Brian, have you enjoyed your lunch? Yeah. No, it was great. It's great. <laughs> I don't know what I can do after that intro. Like you did, All the bits are done. Like I don't know. <laughs> I try. I try to keep it fresh. Uh, Michael, I don't think I have a cocaine reference for you. But uh, joining us this week, because our other co-host is too tired uh, to podcast after getting back from travel. Clearly, he needs some motivation from Big Ange. But uh, in his place, we have a Wheeler Dealer Radio veteran. It's Michael Cayley taking a break from his MathNet marathon to rain on our parade. Michael, are you loving Big Ange instead? I don't think we've really talked to you about uh, Big Ange Postacoglu yet this year. I I might be wrong, but I don't think we have. Yeah, not not on the podcast. I mean, I, I... I don't know where else someone would speak to someone, uh, but in real life, maybe I don't know. Like, yeah, who, who can weird. say? Who would do that? Like meeting your internet friends, becoming like <laughs> actual friends with them, going Ugh. to their wedding. Ah, oh, but I, the the thing with Anj is that I feel very sort of uncomfortable about how much I am rooting for him. That he is such a mensch. He is such, like, just a good guy in the world of elite professional men's soccer, which has so few of them in it. And how good a manager is he? Like, I don't know yet. Like, is are things going to work out at Tottenham? I really don't know yet. There are some promising signs. There are some things that have been good. But, like... What I want more than anything, because of how invested I am now in Ange, is for everyone to give him space and time for this to work, and for the recruitment side to get him the players that he needs to make this work. Because I, what I want more than anything is for there to actually be a, like, years of Ange post-Akolu era, and... For that to work, he needs to do a, a job that we need to see if he does it. 
and people need and, and and the fans and the club need to stick with him and the recruitment needs to get him the players. But like I am wildly invested in Anj as a person. And it's sort of a weird sort of starting point for fandom. It's not one that I'm very used to. It's kind of stunning how quickly he's gotten everyone on board, uh, you know, considering where Spurs fans were at the end of last season. And I've, you know, between all the teams I followed in my life, you know, like guys like Pochettino, someone like Buck Showalter. Like, I mean, I've, I've been around charismatic managers, but this feels like something else. Like, I mean, or it's like on a left from what I'm yeah, I mean, I mean, Poch- I mean, Pochettino was, was a charismatic manager, but I was invested in him. He was fun. He was weird. He was interesting. And he was making my team good. So I loved it. But like, I didn't think that he was like making a difference in like world football, like providing a, a, a different model for what a person should be in this sport. Like, and that's what I'm getting from Ange. But what I love about it from Ange, and we'll actually, because God knows we're not the first first podcast to actually talk about this, is not only does Ange seem like an empathetic, lovely human being, he also looks like he might give Mikel Arteta a black eye. If he says this is the wrong thing. I mean, clearly Ange would never do anything unprovoked. But, you know, it's it's this, like, bizarre sort of, like, combination of empathy and masculinity that's actually very appealing as a sports fan in a way that you know obviously and speaks to as as Tottenham fans we all have like a daddy like complex or something but like he speaks to that for all of us in a very specific way I feel like yeah no he's great he he looks like he would you know beat up a school bully and then give you a great hug and tell you it was okay Uh, you know and what more could you ask for I mean, beautiful attacking football, but he's also given us that. He's also doing that. He is also doing that. Another seamless Wheel of Deal radio transition. That is why we are top of the business, folks. Let's talk about some slightly less beautiful football than something than what he's given us, but still pretty good, uh, especially if we're like thinking about the shit we had to watch for the last, like I don't know, three or four years. Uh, we played Sheffield United to a 2-1 uh, victory this past week. Uh, let's start with the headline. Um, Brian, uh, did you pee yourself uh, in the last five minutes of this game? Because I was pretty excited when uh, we got to that point. No, I mean, you know, I have pretty, like, top-notch bladder control. Yeah. Um, Fluids I'm, only much uncontrollably you... come out of one orifice in your body, and it's on your face. <laughs> Look, um... I don't know how to respond to that. Um, that, anyway. that. That was a bit of a long walk to get to where I realized you were going with that. <laughs> but it's yeah, a good it was, walk. It's a, it was worth it, wasn't it, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, what was the, what was the question that I was answering? Um, no, um, we scored two goals in the last five minutes. How about that? Yeah, yeah. No, I was I was very excited. I I, I like I said. I I think I managed to control all of my orifices. Um, but like, uh, I, I did like jump up and scare the cat. Um, so, you know, uh, but no, it was really exciting. Like it was, it was good because, you know, where Charleston had had such a difficult week, which I'm sure we'll touch on. Um, and you know, he just needed any sort of booster and he, you know, 
he he got scored a really really great goal and then assisted for the um and I don't know. I was just really happy for him. Like, even if we hadn't gone on to win that game, him getting that equalizer um, was super important, I think, for kind of our next run of games. Like, you know, I I think as much as I like seeing play through the middle, I do think we need like a kind of a focal point number nine to do some of the dirty work out there, Uh, especially in games against like Liverpool and arsenal where we need pressing from the front to kind of create opportunities for us like i think richarlison is important for those things and you know any little bit of confidence that he can get is is great michael what were your uh, after a performance like that what, what were your takeaways from that sort of late comeback yeah i mean like it was one of those games where it felt like the like prototypical footballing Spurs had been solidly in control of the game had not been at their very best, but had, you know, no one would have watched that game and thought, well, you know, Sheffield United gets three points. That's, that's, that's what happens. That, that, that's, that's a fair result. That was, that was not at all what happened. The Spurs had totally controlled the game and a long throw bounces to the back post. And a guy puts a perfect strike on the ball from a tough angle. Even then, And, you know, you think that and I think the interesting thing about like where we are with Ange and with this project is that my feeling was very much, oh, I can't believe we're going to get footballed. But we played well. You know, this this season is probably not about the finishing, about where where the team ends up in the table. This season is probably about whatever we're building. And this was a perfectly solid thing for what we're building and Ange will handle this all fine. And then instead you get the like massive catharsis of the two goals and everyone cheering. And I, I was, I was at a bar, um, took my kid and a, a friend of his, uh, to, to, to watch the games and they were going to about to have to leave. Cause my I, I, kid's uh, friend is, is, uh, they're Fiorentina fans. And they were they they had to get back to watch the Milan derby, and so we we're hanging out just till the end. And the game is like running really late or way into extra time. There was a guy at the bar who I I don't know that he was an Arsenal fan, but he was really mad about how much stoppage time there was. He was like twelve minutes, twelve fucking minutes. Come on! And so uh, you know, Spurs scoring the final goal, and we all jump up and scream and ah. Uh, good times it was great i think the thing that was most impressive to me which obviously i did not like process until i'd watched it like five times on my phone or whatever uh but you know the second goal how well worked it is how well worked it is from everybody like this is you know in the 110th whatever the 105th whatever what i don't know it's very 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 late into a football match they're riding off the adrenaline of a late equalizer god knows how tired they are and just sort of keyed up they are after everything that's happened and you have you know udogi gets gets the ball off of sheffield you know and then you've got like three or four spurs players including richarlson who's having a bit of a week who have the presence of mind to make really smart passes that they have the presence to slow down and like sort of run this play or whatever 
and create a really well-worked goal. You know, it's not a set piece. It wasn't like a long kick or a, you know, a, a, a shot from deep. Like that was a really well put together goal. And they had the presence mm-hmm. of mind to do that as late in the match as they did with, you know, like less than like five minutes from a really emotional equalizer. Like Richarlson's pass to Kulishevsky in particular impresses me because I don't think, I don't think it would have been a good idea, but I don't think any of us would have blamed him if he sort of took a, you know, tried to get in position and take a shot himself, you know, that he had the presence of mind to make that pass, which is a really good pass that late in the match. I was very, very impressed with that goal. And I think that really speaks to what Postacoglu's instilling in this team. And, and if there's anything that was impressive about that match, I think it was how well worked that final goal was um, so late in the match. Yeah, I I, I, yeah, I completely agree. And you know, Udogi picking that picking that ball off, he is you know already you know top 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 three among fullbacks in in, in ball winning. He's just been so so good in those one on one defensive situations, and this showing how he can do that for the attack. The way he like there's there's a there's a there's a there's a clip of the final goal that uh, put up by the Spurs web by, by by like the Spurs website whatever you know Twitter account that is from like like pitch level and you can actually see looking out from the back the way that he see before the Sheffield United fullback even Sheffield United center back even picks up the ball to make the pass out he's already reading it and jumping the passing lane and he's able to get on that ball and put it forward. And like, I think that this is, this is what Ange ball done right looks like in a number of ways on the defensive side, on the attacking side, like they they put it together and transition very, very well, but you need, because we're going to be so unbalanced to the front, you need guys making plays again and again and again. And, And, and destiny has been that guy to make plays. And it was really sort of very fitting and very perfect that got this big goal off of him making a play defensively. Cause that's really what he's been doing. Well, and it's interesting cause I thought this was kind of his quietest game offensively mm-hmm. um, that we've played. And I don't know if it was down to, you know, Sheffield United with the three center backs and, you know, however they were set up, if that's what it was, but you know, he wasn't finding himself in kind of the attacking channels and stuff that he had had been in some of the previous matches. And he wasn't getting as many touches on the ball. And, you know, like like Greg said, you know, to to have the presence of mind to all be willing to do all that stuff that deep into the match, as opposed to um, just kind of like mindlessly pushing guys forward. I think uh, I don't remember who it was, but I was listening to one of the analysts this week talking it was about, you know, that uh, so often teams that are in that position where they go behind and are trying to force through a winner at home in front of their fans, they lose all sorts of like discipline from the plan or, you know, how they move the ball and possess and everything. And and he mentioned that, you know, Manchester City is one of those teams that doesn't do that. They just keep doing the pep thing until the pep thing works. And that's really what the the second half felt like was okay. You know, we're just going to keep playing the way we play and it'll eventually come to something. 
And because the way we play now is attacking as opposed to, <laughs> no, we're just going to sit back and then we'll kick it long and then counterattacks will work. Um, you know, I'm much more on board with that as being, you know, both plan A and plan B. Like, you know, as of where we're before, we were like, well, these guys don't have a plan B or plan B is just do plan A better. But like the plan A sucks. Like we all hated it. <laughs> like Michael said, Michael said, you know, that this time it felt like, oh, we're going to get balled and but it's OK. Like last year we were like, we're getting footballed again. Like, why does this always happen to us? Like, so we've made such a total shift and 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 Ange has just got these guys believing in doing this so that destiny who you know is a young player who's new to the premier league he has the confidence in the system and in, in, in his role in this to step into that passing lane way before it does that as opposed to just like mindlessly running a, to a to put a man under pressure and and on top of that you know you i think hoiberg um perisic Charleston, I don't think there's anyone else who touched the ball before Kulishevsky on that move, but they all, like, no one's lumping it in the box. No one's, like, taking pot shots from deep. It's like, good pass, good pass, good pass. Like, it was just, it, it, it I, I think it's really impressive. I mean, I think, like, if there's anything, you know, I, we all talk about, like, you know, how impressive Ange is in, like, his press conferences or as a person. And I think the thing about him as a communicator that we're, isn't talked about enough at least in the terms of that, is like how quickly he's gotten everyone to buy into this system. I mean, that he was able to get those players that behave like that in that circumstance that late in a match is just incredibly impressive to me. And I think, you know, going way back to what Michael was saying about Ange at the beginning of the podcast, like, you know, it makes you really excited for like, okay, how's this going to play out in the months, year, hopefully years ahead? Because like you can just see the foundation he's laying and it's that we're here this quickly is so impressive. Um, yeah, I, I think that a really important like baseline question here is how good is this talent and what did we think this talent was before the season? And like the, the simplest way of, of, of looking at this team is that they made some additions. You get some young guys like Van de Ven. You're going to be bringing Sar in. You're bringing Udogi back from from loan and that's all good but the main thing this team did was that they sold their superstar forward and did not replace him and the team was already out of the european places last season more or less deservedly so like what is our talent level like i think that the reasonable take was even if you want to give the best you can to, okay, Sun and Richarlison have bounce back in them. Saar and Udogi are real talents. Madison is a very good addition. Like, the most you could get, I like, I think you would be stretching to say that this was sixth place talent coming into the season. And you could maybe make a stronger case now for some of those guys based on what we've seen, but I think you would you would have been stretching before the season. And the the performance level of this team, like, I mean, I think the second is, you know, things have been good. The vibes have been good. We're running hot. There were some games that, you know, you don't necessarily always get the three points we do against against United in particular. Usually you get footballed once in a season. 
we haven't been footballed yet in five games. Like that'll happen eventually. That that that's the nature of the sport. But my uh, my estimates, my numbers. I sort of did a quick uh, schedule adjusted thing. We've also played a relatively easy schedule. Um, I think second or third easiest in the league. My numbers put us as playing like more or less fifth, sixth place football. And these are these and 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 these are like there's big error bars, obviously, in five games. You know, if that team finishes fourth, nothing weird about that. But what I mean to say is that Spurs so far have been playing the kind of football that if we keep this up over the course of the season, Champions League is not an unreasonable thing. And I think that that is, you know, one of the ways that the sort of early season numbers can fail to capture what's going on is that a team can just be running hot. And I think there's a very, very good chance that we're just running hot right now. Uh, Yves Basuma has been like the best central midfielder in the Premier League for five games. I think he's good, but he's probably not this good. Patmatar Sar is at like 0.7 XG and XA per 90. Those are like Kane in his best seasons put up 0.7 XG and XA per 90. Like these are crazy numbers. We're probably running a little bit hot. But because the baseline was so low and because I think even if we're pushing up the baseline on this talent, you have to give Ange credit for that, for putting these guys in the in, in these positions to succeed. It's a really, really impressive and heartening start to the season. And if this regresses to us being more like fifth, sixth, seventh, that's still an upgrade. That's still building on something. I think it's, you know, that's all very positive. Yeah, I mean, I think the the us running hot at the beginning of the season has uh, really won and a lot of goodwill. You know, if we have a couple of different results where, you know, those early games where we got beat on XG and we wind up losing those instead of a draw and a win, you know, not that the season is so much worse. We'd still have, you know, nine points from the first uh, five matches. That's still okay, But like, you know, to roll off four straight victories that feels good, you know, especially in, after I think last year we didn't win three in a row at any point. Um, so, you know, and we're now four. Um, so I, I just. I agree with Michael that I, I don't necessarily believe that, you know, we can sustainably win, you know, four out of five matches the rest of the way. Um, and certainly, you know, we haven't played any of the bigger teams yet. And, you know, these next couple matches are kind of going to be a, a measuring stick for us to see where we kind of are against some of the other teams that we expect to be the top end of the table. Like, you'd rather have these, you know, 13 points than not, right? Like, you know, this is that way when you do get a few times or when you do run into to a stretch in your season where you're playing some difficult games, you've just got points banked against these other crappy teams. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, and we've talked for years about, you know, before Pochettino came in, we struggled to beat the bad teams. And then Pochettino came in and like, that's what we started doing. We didn't lose to West Brom anymore. We beat the shit out of West Brom. Like, and, and 
that kind of regressed in the last couple seasons. And, and so now this is great. Like beat the bad teams, get some points on the board early. And then, you know, when AFCON comes around and we're down to our two, two of our starting midfielders, when, you know, uh, when sun goes to the Asian cup in the, in, in that same time period, like, you know, we, we're, we're, and and we as fans can then give the manager a little leeway, which we haven't been giving to other managers in the past. Well, I think it's worth pointing out, like, we've gotten a little lucky at the beginning of the year and we're running hot. But at the same time, we're not, like, stealing points in the way that we were under, say, Nudo's first month, where, like, oh, man, boy, we sure got lucky to get three points there. Like, yeah, a few things went our way. We're playing really well. We're doing we're doing good stuff. And I think the importance here is, yeah, like... Yeah, we're, we're in second on, like, fifth-place performance. We're not yeah. in... It, it, fifth-place performance is really good. Yeah, and it's like... And, and, and I think because we're all looking at it, like, this isn't Mourinho, this isn't Conte. If we don't win now, it's not a disaster. Like... You know, like this is laying some foundations and God, if it's getting him some breathing room, God bless. But, you know, he's doing all the things that I think we've been crying out for for so long where he's he's, you know, he's he's coaching talent. I know that sounds stupid, but I feel like the last like two manager two per well, let's not count Nuno. So like Mourinho and Conte and like latter era poached, you know, they wanted finished products. Like, you know, it was like, oh, well, if it's not exactly what we need, sort of what City buy, and even then City improved players. But, like, you know, it's like, and just improving guys, and just making guys fit into his system. You know, like, I I, I think we were all, to varying degrees, Michael, uh, skeptical about Pedro Porro <laughs> coming into this season. But, I mean, he's been, and God knows where we'll get by the end of the year. So far, incredible success. Postacoglu has made him so much better than I think any of us anticipated in this system. And that he is, like, getting things out of guys that aren't, like, obviously there, which is what our previous couple managers have wanted. Is It's such a huge plus, and it's so refreshing as a fan. I, I mean, so Pedro Porro, last season for Tottenham, was the first season in his career where he'd completed more than 70% of his passes. And this season, he's playing inverted and completing 85% of his passes. And I, like, there were very few indications, both in his numbers, but also just in watching him play, that this was a guy who could learn to play a possession role. And he's doing it. And, and and I think that, like, Ange being able to see in his talent that that was something that he could do, being able to produce, create a role that Poro is able to execute in is is really impressive. The, the one that stands out to me, honestly, be, in part because it is a smaller change and because it is a change that. I hoped could happen, but was skeptical could happen is James Madison because Madison at Leicester was sort of the classic, like, you know, mid tier NBA star. They're going to use a lot of possessions, but they're going to score a bunch and it's worth it. But like, it really puts a ceiling on you. Like, you know, he's like Trey Young. 
You're going to say Donovan Mitchell, Trey Young. Yeah, one of those guys. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, so Vanderhart would be the soccer version of this, I feel like. Yeah, you, you get the you get them the ball a lot. In the end, it's going to produce a fair amount of good stuff, but they're going to take a bunch of shots from deep that they shouldn't take. They're going to make a bunch of, they're going to try a bunch of passes that aren't a very good idea. And I kind of thought that it was okay for Spurs to be signing, if Madison was that, which was more or less what he had mostly been at at Leicester, if he was that, it was okay for Spurs to sign that player because we didn't have any other on-ball players anyway. But what Ange has done is just immediately ripped almost all the bad stuff out of his game and just got him doing just the good stuff. And that's of the players that have really improved this season. He's maybe the one that I buy the most that he could just stay this way. He could just really be this productive if it turns out that like Brendan Rodgers just never told him those are bad shots. When you're taking those shots, don't do it. Make a pass. Like, and you can do that and you can fit it into a system and we have maybe more more targets for him to hit, but whatever. But like immediately getting Madison fixing the one obvious problem with his game is really cool. It's it, it it's amazing how quickly he cut the fat out of Madison's performance. And I was I was a very big fan of Madison. I was happy we signed him. Oh yeah. But the way that he's integrated in this team, even in a game like this, uh, against Sheffield, where I don't I, I don't think this was as greatest performance with Spurs. He was still an incredibly productive player. And most importantly, he was making fun of the Sheffield players for all their time wasting after we took the lead. I mean, it is stunning how perfect Madison is for Spurs fans. Like it is just, uh, Oh, I love him. He's so great. He's everything. He's he's the main man at the roast dinner. He's the main man at the roast dinner. Who knew, who knew we needed a man who wanted to be Harry Kane is just out here talking about rings, you know, James Madison knows what's really important, and that's being the main man of the first dinner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the thing with the shots in Madison is he Ange has done that with other players, too. Like, Pedro Porro doesn't take as many speculative shots. Saar loved a, a shot from distance. He's basically cut that out of his game. Like, it, it feels like Ange is punishing them in some way that we don't yet know. <laughs> For, for shots outside the box, like, and, you know, I think Sonny has pretty much license to shoot from wherever, but, like, everybody else inside the box or, like, you have to do, like, 10 extra laps at, at practice or something. I don't know. But, like, there there's some sort of fine it's system fight in place. Kangaroo. Yeah, fight a kangaroo. Um, <laughs> shotgun, like, four fosters and then run laps. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, but or, or maybe it's just, like, you know... Uh, Romero is enforcing these fines and he just beats you up after after He's practice. Just like or... showing up in your bedroom at night with like a knife in his teeth. <laughs> yeah, like, just I, I can't speak like, Spanish, but like whatever the Spanish is for like why are you shooting from distance? Like Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh let to actually talk a little bit more about the Sheffield game, I'm curious what you guys think about Richarlson for the year. Because I think it's for Spurs fans, it's a bit of an interesting conundrum because I don't think there's any world in which Richarlison approaches replacing Kane's production. And I, I think, to be fair to most Spurs fans, I don't think they're expecting him to be scoring 20 goals a season. I, I do think he can be a useful player uh, for Spurs because he w- he does, boy, does he do a lot of dirty scut work. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, there's been a lot of talk around his mental health, but... 
it, it's I don't know. He's such a useful player, especially because when he's not on the pitch, I think the thing, you know, we're playing such nice football. But then you play a team like Sheffield or a team like the way Brentford played us the first week. And you think, boy, would it not be nice to have someone who could get on the end of a cross? And, you know, Richarlson does all this sort of, you know, we're trying to move away from all this ugly shit, but like, it's nice to have someone who can do all this ugly shit in a team. And it helps that Richarlson seems to be a lovely person. So I don't know, Michael, uh, again, I'll start with you because you haven't been on the podcast much this season. Uh, what, where do you, what, what do you think about Richarlson right now with where he is with Spurs? I'll keep it broad and let you take it from there. Yeah, I, I think that the, the, the real Richarlison question in some ways is the Sun question because Sun has been able to be much more productive, in, especially in terms of getting his own shot playing through the middle. And Sun is the one true, like, star goal scorer on this team. Madison is maybe a plus goal scorer, and that's it. And I think that you if you're you have to be maximizing Sun in this side. And at the same time, Sun is 31 years old. And so one of the big questions we have over the next couple of seasons is can we continue to get good, even star level production out of Sun? And the like I was, I was on a I was on a podcast with Scott Willis, uh, the Arsenal stats guy, talking about this a little bit. He, I thought he had a good way of putting it, that as players age, they tend to move toward one or the other penalty area. That, like, wing and box-to-box box are a young man's game. And so if we want Son, not just for now to be getting shots, but over the next several years— to be a productive player on Spurs, him figuring out how to be the nine and what the version of a nine is that is Hung Min Sun is the best thing that we can do. And that leaves Richarlison in a more difficult place because either he needs to have the possession skills to play Anja's wing, which is tough. Possession is not the best part of his game. He's an excellent presser. He is a good garbage man. He is good on the ball in some tight spaces around the penalty area, but that's not quite where Anja's wingers are supposed to play. It's one of the reasons that Sun wasn't working quite as well out on those wings. So it's a like Richarlison as a striker sub, Richarlison as someone who gives us a different look makes a lot of sense, but It'll be a tough job, I think, for Ange if he wants to figure out how to get Richarlison into the first team and also get the most out of Sun. And I kind of just, like, we'll see. I, I, I think we, we've seen Ange do magic to a couple of players already, so maybe there's Richarlison magic out there. But if what Richarlison is is a backup striker and a sub striker, like, that's got a lot of value. The first guy off the bench is going to be playing a lot of minutes. And whether it's, you know, late in a match that needs something different or just like we decide we want to play with a battering ram that week against, you know, a certain team. Like, you know, I mean, there's some I think there is some value because like Kane playing all the time. I mean, Kane was an excellent player, so it probably didn't matter all that much. But I think there is some value in us being able to have two strikers with very different styles. And just being able to switch it up. And even if Kane, even if Son, for obvious reasons, because I think Son is 
probably going to get us some goals if teams want to play against us. But I think there's some real value to having just like, okay, let's put the battering ram in, you know, kind of, you know, but, but, you know, it's not like Fernando Lorente, who was very handsome, but very old and had very limited use. I mean, Richarlson can do a job. Um, yep. And, you know, I think there's a, a lot of value to that. And I think he's actually going to get some starts because either you can shift Sun over to the left because I think Ange has been doing an interesting job getting Sun involved in play around the penalty area, which is not something that he'd really been asked to do under previous managers. But, um, you know, I think, I don't know, Ange's magic. I think he's going to figure something out maybe. But I think there is some value in having, like, actual – Brian, you were talking about that earlier, like – having a plan A and a plan B and they're both like, you know, it's not just hoping that plan B works. It's, it's, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I think coming into this season, I was a little higher on Richarlison than some other people were. I really kind of thought that he would really hit the ground running and, and kind of, I don't know. I, I, I felt like he would easily get like double digit goals, um, which he still may, I guess. We're only five games into the season. Um, but, you know, I I just felt like he could do a job in line for us. I understand that he's not, you know, he wasn't going to score 20. He wasn't going to score 25, 30. He wasn't going to be like the long term solution. But in terms of someone that would allow uh, Ange's system to work in a in a coherent way, I, I thought he made a lot of sense. And then, you know, that was all kind of based on what our understanding of Ange Ball was coming from Celtic or, you know, maybe some other people were diligent and watched Yokohama, whatever, <laughs> uh, you, you know. But I think, you know, as we've seen um, Richarlison up top, we've seen Sun up top, I, I think we we work better with sun up there and uh, like Michael said, it, it, you, you have to solve the problem that's going to have the greatest impact on your season. And I think the greatest impact is sun being good, you know, like, like, because what his level of good is, is significantly above what Richarlison's level. Like if we, if we solve some problem, like best case scenario is 16 goals. Right. But if we solve the sun problem, best case scenario is 30. Like, you know, so that's that's, uh, you know, that's going to be the problem. And and I, I agree with everything both of you guys said, like he's good as a second option. He's good as a backup striker. First guy off the bench, he's going to play a lot of minutes. Um, he'll probably start a bunch of games, too. I, I, whatever. But, uh, you know. I'm happy for him that he scored, though, more than anything else. Like, I'm happy the way the team reacted. You know, Sonny gives his interview after the game, and he says, you know, I was more happy that he scored than if I had scored. Like, you know, I know. It's just adorable, right? What a guy. Imagine Harry Kane saying that about anybody. I can't. I literally can't. Imagine Harry Kane being like, "Uh, I'm happy that someone else scored but not me. He's never, not only has he ever said that, he's never thought of saying it. Yeah, it's never it's never even popped into his brain that it was good that somebody other than him scored. Someone pointed out, like, you know, and again, I think Son has no reason to feel threatened by anyone at Tottenham Hotspur now that Harry Kane is gone. But, you know, after that match, 
you know, he's pushing Richarlison support. He's trying to be like, everybody look at this guy. In theory, like, that's the guy he's fighting for for a starting spot. I mean, he's not really, but you, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, I mean, he is... God, I love I love Son. I love this team is so much fucking fun right now. <laughs> they're, they're such a great group of guys who are, you know, the vibe. Like I said, the vibes are immaculate. It's like it's it's what you want out of your team when you're following them. They all love each other. They all want each other to succeed. They don't give a shit as long as they're winning games. Like they want Richarlson's mental health to be great. Like it's it's just like, oh, man, mm-hmm. it's, just, you know, it's like, sorry, well, this is what masculinity looks like. You know, it's great. It's, like. It's like Michael said at the beginning where, you know, he's, he has this investment in Ange as a person. Like, I feel like much more emotionally invested with this team. And even guys that have been around, like, <laughs> uh, like for years, I'm much more emotionally invested this year because they just... They just all are in much better moods, I think. Like, well, it helps that they all fucking want to be here. At least, like our captains seem to actually want to be here, as opposed to like other superstars I could name who crawl on their bellies. You know, like, <laughs> but not even just him. But like, I mean, look, our old captain, lest we forget, wasn't Harry Kane. It was Hugo. And like, can you imagine Hugo doing or saying any of the things that we've heard from Son lately? Like. Hugo didn't give a lot of interviews to the press to talk about, like, goings on at the club. And, you know, and maybe that's just because Son has more of a, you know, international media file that he gets asked questions more often. But, like, he's saying all the correct words. And, you know, I don't know. I I just am so, more, so much more bought into everything this year. And everything that happens, like, just makes my heart, like, swell like I'm the Grinch on Christmas. <laughs> I Speaking of things that we don't appreciate as much, uh, I want to talk about the excellent substitutions that Ange made in this match. Because we always bitch about our manager substitutions. And I think he nailed it. And I think we were all crying out for substitutions, but he nailed it. Like, I think he won the match with... I mean, he brought on uh, very late. It was what it was: Perisic, uh, Johnson, and um, Charleston. And it was just absolutely exactly. Even Johnson, who like he had a very nice. It was chalked off sides, but it wasn't that far off sides. Very nice goal. Brought on like a different threat, and you know, combining the fact that he brought on Johnson and moved Kulishevsky more a little more central, I thought was an inspired uh, bit of management. Even discounting the fact that. Kulishevsky scored the winning goal. Yeah. No, it was great. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think... Like the, go ahead. No, okay. Well, all I was going to say was, I, I think the uh, the Brennan Johnson thing is, I guess none of us really understood how he was going to be used. Like, is he coming into play on the wing? Is he coming in to be a striker? Is he... What is he doing? And I don't think we got much clarity on that in this game because um, I'm not really sure what he was supposed to be doing. He he looked like he was mostly playing striker. Um, he looked but, like he wasn't sure what he was supposed to be doing. Yeah. And, and, you know, fine. I think he'd probably been at two training sessions with the team, you know, yeah. before he played this game. Um, but, I mean, he, he looked fine. Um, I don't I don't. I don't have any other thoughts about him other than, you know, like, okay, let's see more, I guess. Like, I want to, I want to know more about what he's doing. Like I'm interested, but like, it wasn't like 
blown away or anything. Yeah, I, I don't. Th- I think the thing about these subs, it's not like the tactical switch of Kulisevsky moving inside really changed anything. The te- the tactical switch of Kulisevsky m- moving inside didn't work to my eye because him and Johnson could not figure it out. And him and Johnson kept getting each other's way. And but the subs worked anyway, even without the tactical switch being particularly effective because you had all these fresh legs because the attack was not well, Sun's the captain, so he can't come off and he needs to score the goal. No, he's going to come off when he's tired and when other guys, even if they're not as good as, as Sun, if they haven't run for 70 minutes, they're going to be better than him. And, 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 and that's what we saw. And if Anj, I know that in on, on previous teams, he has used his subs. And it certainly seems this season, after the sort of weirdness in the first game, where some, I think some things got thrown off by the concussion sub, I, the failed concussion sub, I don't know what. So far, he looks to be using his subs. And in particular, he looks to be using his subs in attack. He thinks, I, I think that it makes sense that attack is where you're going to get the most value out of those fresh legs. And so like just using them, even if the tactical switch isn't the best, even if the guys aren't quite ready to execute the thing he was trying to do, that made a big difference. How are you feeling about uh, the team of Parasic injured? Because it looks like he's out at least through January. And I mean, the guy's 34. He's got an ACL injury. Like if he's not back this season, I don't think that's a huge shocker. I mean, they said it's a complex ACL. Like I, I think the season's over for him. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, I mean, like he was a guy we, we have. I don't know. I, I don't think it makes that much difference. Like, you know, if it had been him that got injured at the beginning of the season and Brian Heal was available, like, yeah, sure. Like, it's a guy. Well, he, he's going to be available in a few weeks. So, I mean, yep. Yep. We get, there's, there's youth players in theory. Loselso at some point. Loselso is supposed to be fit this weekend. He could like help out over there. I just don't think it's that big a deal. Like, I, I'm just not like this season. Eventually, down the line, it could come to a point where Spurs' table position is so good that they should be concerned about scraping every point that they can. And if we get to January and we think that that's where we are, maybe they'll try to bring in some talent. I don't think it would be a good idea to like just try to sign like specific depth talent because Ivan Perisic got hurt. But maybe you're at a point where that's that's valuable. For the most part, like. This season is about building something and and building something may involve some youth players getting some minutes. It may involve heel getting some more minutes than we thought they would. It may involve trying out uh, Los Elso at the 10 and, and and Madison from the wing. All those things are possible. Like, I don't know. Paris is getting injured. Doesn't doesn't worry me. I'm going to miss his crosses. But, yeah, it's not the end of the world. Can I say about Brian Heal? Like, again, I don't think he's been a huge success or, like, promising player at Spurs and probably was a mistake to sign. I do think he's the kind of player who might be pretty useful in the Ange's system. Like, maybe I'm just overrating his ability to run around a lot. I mean, this is I think this is one of the big questions with Ange Ball in general and how well it's going to work. I mean, the biggest question is, like, can this actually work as a defense? And the results so far are, like, Spurs have been kind of like an average defense with uh, some bad shots against them and Vicari making some big saves. So, so far, it's not like it's working great, but exactly how good the defense will be is the big question. But the other question is this weird wing position in this 2-3-5. 
what exactly are they supposed to do and what is good production from those spaces? And on the upside, does the amount of space they have to work in allow not such good wingers to be very productive? Manor Sullivan has been insanely productive in his like under 290s. He's averaging like, I think I think it's like seven shots and shot assists per 90 combined over over and like I don't think he's even been he doesn't like look that good but in the end he's in very dangerous places doing stuff and And he's making passes in the box now which is not something he was doing at Fulham yeah and and like and like you know one thing that 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 seems to have happened with Solomon or like it's 290s who knows but what Solomon's done so far at least is you take a guy who would do dangerous stuff 40 yards from the penalty area and get him doing dangerous stuff 20 yards from the penalty, 20 yards from the goal, 40 yards from the goal to 20 yards from the goal. And like, for the most part, that doesn't work. That rarely works. That is like, you do not make bets on players doing that. But he has. And Heal was, for the most part, someone who sometimes did dangerous stuff 40 yards from goal and never did dangerous stuff 20 yards from goal and like to be wide he doesn't have the same ability in, in, in the take on the same kind of technical stuff that Solomon does. So maybe that's a problem, but I, I, I don't want me to be like overselling Solomon who had very little else going on in his profile other than that. So maybe, but I think we really need a better handle on what, how, what the orange ball winger role is and how guys play in it. Cause I think we've got a bunch of very mixed possible signals at this point. I think Parasitz going out only strengthens Heels sort of, I don't know. I think he's going to get more opportunities than he might have gotten a week ago. <laughs> um, so yeah. we're going to find I, out. I, uh, sure hope his, uh, his, his surgery recovery is going well. Uh, if there are any Tottenham reporters who listen to this podcast, sure would love to know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> um. Brian, uh, before we move on to Arsenal, um, I want to talk about, you know, I think this match was interesting because it wasn't quite the uh, parked bus that we saw against Brentford. But this was another I think this is the first really defensive performance we've seen since then. Spurs, I think, have acquitted themselves fairly well um, against, you know, sort of both. You know, I, I think we've been really entertaining against teams that want to play against us. The Burnley match, I think, in particular, was an example of that United in the second half also. Um, but, you know, I think we've it's been interesting to see how we played against more packed defenses. Are you feeling good about, you know, you talked earlier about how we do against bad against like sort of the worst teams in the league who I think, you know, you can associate with trying to play defensively against us. How are you feeling about our sort of approaches to a more um, conservative setup, let's say? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I felt like it, by and large, our approach in this match was fine. Um, you know, I, the, we were getting footballed, you know, West Fodringham had however many saves in the first half. And then, you know, we just couldn't get the breakthrough. I, I didn't feel like it, uh, this, the reason that we trailed was because we were unable to create chances or were not creating chances. Um, so I felt pretty good about it. Um, I think, you know, I mean, the, the issue is, um, always been for Spurs is creating chances against those sorts of teams. And I do kind of worry about how like Ange's system is a little narrow 
um, just in general. And then we play with, you know, wide forwards who are trying to cut in. And, uh, you know, I just wonder how that works out in the long run. But, like, for these two specific matches where we've faced, you know, more bunkered oppositions in Brentford and Sheffield United, I, I we did okay. We did we did fine. Like the thing is, is that like most of these teams are, with the exception of Brentford, probably, um, you know, we're just more talented than all these other clubs that are playing these bunker defenses. And I feel like just in general, that tends to win out. Um, Have you watched the last three to four years of Tottenham football? Because well, like- yeah, no, no, no. I I I understand what we've been conditioned to believe. Uh, but what I'm telling you is like, is like, you know, I think when you have an attacking philosophy, you have to believe that, no, we're just better than them. And it's work. Um, and. Yeah, I mean, you know, most of the like the mid table teams will play football. Um, it's really only some of the, the teams lower down that we're we're really going to face these like pack defenses. Yeah, I, I think on. Anjbal has, in in this way, a fair amount in common with uh, what Eric Ten Hag likes to do, in uh, tactically. <laughs> we don't want that. Come on, Michael. Don't do that. In, in, don't do that in, to in us. The, in that, what you're trying to do is is very different from the way Pochettino approached a a, a a a a low block, which was you just kept smashing it. You just smash it. You, you 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 keep the pressure on with the high press, and you just have the ball in the final third all the time. And what Anj is trying to do, rather, is trying to sucker out the press. And you're trying and, and you're and you're trying to as you're do, as you're in build up, make passes into places that are going to draw a press out, and then you can pass through them, break the lines, and. That so far, I mean, it didn't really work against Brentford. The whole thing looked pretty messy against Brentford. The passing out of the out of the midfield was pretty rough. And that's when it looks bad. But since then, they've been able to make those passes. And you have and, and, and Basuma can also carry the ball through that first line of press when they get pressed. And and, and the, the, the wingers are doing a better job of being the outlets for that pass when they get pressed. And I think that's a. I think it's a smart way of trying to approach a bunker defense. It'll be interesting if like teams that simply don't rise to the bait at all, what that will look like. But so far that has been working. And I think it'll work against a lot of these teams in the Premier League that are kind of interested in playing football. Uh, Before I move off it, I think one thing that um, I think is worth touching on uh, in the Sheffield game is the time wasting. Uh, much like bad refereeing, which also happened in this match, I feel like that's something we like complain about or bitch about that generally doesn't sort of deserve comment or serious thought. But God, this match was awful. Like they, they were, I don't know. Like this was, this was, I don't understand the psychology of Premier League referees. Because if I was refereeing a match and a team was doing that level of time wasting, like that early, like I would take it personally. And, I don't know. It, it's it's it's. I guess it's a valid strategy, but like, like the Sheffield's manager was bitching about it after the match. How much added time there was? Like, I, my guy, I, did you watch what your keeper was doing? Like, they were rolling around on the ground. Like, I don't have a problem if you want to do it, but don't complain about when you actually get punished for it. Because like, it's not a subtle strategy here. 
I don't know. I just didn't want to let it pass without comment. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys have anything intelligent to say about the time wasting we saw in this match, but I thought Sheffield kind of got what they deserved. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and, and they're get they're getting what you deserve from you you refusing to use their name. You're gonna just keep calling them Sheffield because f them, fuck them, fuck them. They're not even the good Sheffield. They're the one with the interesting name that sounds like they're in Harry Potter or something. <laughs> Ugh. Anyway, let's talk about a real team. Uh, unfortunately, they're a real team. Uh, how are you guys feeling about the Arsenal match? I mean, considering the fact that, you know, I never feel good about an Arsenal match, especially at the Emirates. But, Brian, how are you, how are you feeling going into the North London Derby this weekend? So I'm going to do the part where I talk about how I'm feeling good and, and do the numbers that, like, bring everybody back to Earth. Is that what we're doing here? Sure. Yeah. Seems yeah. Good. Let's do that. Yeah. Now, you can do, how yeah. are you feel? Just, t- just be honest. No, but seriously, no, I, I, the era, this is a safe place. We could all express our feelings in the confidence that we will accept you and love you no matter what you say. Yeah. Yeah. No, but seriously, I feel pretty good. Um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Arsenal aren't great. I, I don't know. Kai Havertz. I didn't stop them from challenging for a title last year. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think, you know, Mikel Arteta, I think, is a flat earther. Um, and, you know, that doesn't bode well for his team's tactical awareness. Um, so, I don't know. I No, but I feel pretty Brian, good. I have, like, to tell you, I have to stop you right there. Calling Miguel, Mikel Arteta a flat earther is maybe, like, the best. I don't know. I feel like that sums up Mikel Arteta. No, that I have struggled to do and for, like, three years now. So, I just want to compliment you for that. Thank you. I I've, I said that. I sincerely felt like he had like already said some flat earther shit. Like I wasn't. I didn't just no, pull it, that it out of. It captures his entire I vibe. Feel, Whether yes. it's true or not, it captures his vibe. Oh yeah. No. N- 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 never. Never ask a man his salary, a woman her age. Mikel Arteta, his most recent Twitter likes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So. Um, but no, I. Anything could happen in this match, and I wouldn't be surprised. Like, we could go in there, and, you know, Arsenal could expose our back line and beat us, you know, 3-0 or 4-0, whatever. Or, alternately, we could both play pretty even football and come out with a draw. Or, I don't know, maybe we could go in there and beat the brakes off them. I don't know. I, I would be... I, I'm kind of like... I don't have any expectations. And like we said earlier in the show, like it's kind of a free hit, right? Like it doesn't really matter. Like this is a season where unfortunately we're not necessarily competing with Arsenal. They're like, you know, they're, they're just above us. I like, I understand they're below us in the table right now, but like the, it, we're just not, our expectations as a club aren't on that level. And, you know, maybe that changes over the course of the season. But, like, as for me and, and my perspective of this season, like, that's, you know, finishing above them and preventing state tottering in today, I, I could not care less about for this year. So, like, all right, let's go. Let's go play some football. Let's see where we are. I, I think I'm more interested in this match as a measuring stick than I am as in anything else. Yeah, exactly. I think we're going to learn a whole lot from this match about where this team is and what adjustments Pastakalu needs to make in how they play as they go up against the very good teams. And I think that's learning that the team needs. And maybe it'll be good. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's in any way like off the table. But 
I just don't know. And I think that that's what's, you know, in many ways, I kind of wish I were not as invested in this game. Like if this was a game between Liverpool and Arsenal, I would be just really intellectually interested in how it was going to turn out. But instead, I care very deeply. And I think it's it's interesting for Arsenal, too, who were most of this season have been somewhat different than they've been under Arteta, that that they have been pressing much higher their 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 their, their possession present their, their possession percentages are higher and their uh, opposition turnover rate opposition pass incompletion rate much much higher than they've been in the past but they've been doing it not in the service of like heavy metal football and like press high win the ball go get the goal but in order to shut down what other teams are doing and play slowly and defensively in possession. It seems to me like, and I'm probably looking at this through an unfavorable lens, but Arteta is overreacting to, or at least reacting to their sort of lack of defensive solidity down the stretch last year that arguably cost them the title. Yeah, and he's sacrificing a lot of their attacking play or possession play to make that happen. And that's where I feel like we have a real opportunity to like throttle throttle is the wrong word, but, you know, to to get some wins against them, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it'll, it'll be I mean, I think that that raises like th- these are the tactical questions. Like what if Arsenal come out to try to have the ball and kill the game? What does our system look like? in a game where the other team is going to have the ball, it's going to be good at having the ball and it's not going to be easy to get the ball from. Like, what does this look like if Spurs have to be playing in a defensive block for a significant part of the match? How well is that going to go? What does it look like when we play off of turnovers? Or are Spurs going to like try to really force a different kind of game? Are they not going to, if, 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 if Arsenal want to play that way, will Spurs sort of let them or will Spurs try to force the issue? On the other hand, Today against PSV, Arsenal were pretty happy. I mean, they got an early goal, but they were pretty happy to play in a mid-block encounter. And that's another, that was, that's kind of the rea- the way I would expect them to play. We'll see. But like a mid-block encounter with those attackers against Spurs playing 2-3-5 and suddenly Saka is running into spaces where there literally isn't anyone because we're playing a 2-3-5. Like, that scares me a lot, and that would require Spurs to play a, an incredibly high-level version of the football they've played over the last four matches, which seems less likely, but I mean, we'll find out. And, and, and those are the two sort of structures of the match that I can see, and I don't really know. And in any of those cases, I'm really interested to see how it's going to play out before I start I'll, thinking about how it's going to be like raise feelings. I'll tell you what I'm really happy about is no matter how this match goes, I am confident that we are going to try to f- take it to them. And I can't fucking remember the last time that like Spurs, like we're not taking a very paid, like, like, I don't know. Like, I mean, obviously we had some good wins against Arsenal under Mourinho. We had some good wins against some other content. I don't want to like discourage that, but like, or, no, they, or those, all that. Of the, every single one of our wins over Arsenal over the other managers sucked. Yes. Well, you know, that 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 three nil under Conte 
at the end. Oh, of, right. That, the, the one, the one, the one. That was, that, that was, was pretty fucking fun. Like, that, that is like legit. maybe the one game at the new stadium that is like, was pretty great. Yep, no, but other than that, my, my point is this feels like a game where like, maybe it's going to backfire on us wildly. I don't know. But I respect the shit out of this team for the fact that I think we're going to take it to Arsenal. I think we're going to try to make them play our game. And we are going to try to like impose ourselves on this match. And maybe that's a bad idea, but there's something about that, especially after the last like couple years of just ugly football that I respect the shit out of. Yeah. There's a lot of different versions of having a, having an aggressive strategy. Yes. I, I don't know that it necessarily means the Spurs are going to be trying to have as much of the ball. As I don't think, they did I don't think Ange is going to, like, snort a bunch of cocaine and be like, all right, boys, let's, like, fucking do it. Like, I, like, I think it's going to be responsible, but I think we're going to try to impose ourselves on this match, which is a change of pace, let's say, from how this team has been managed for the past five, six years. I'll enjoy my lunch. I mean, maybe I won't because it could be a bad lunch if uh, – we, you know, we lose this match. But like Brian said, there, there's no score line. If you, if like, you know, time traveling Greg came back and, you know, stole a biker's outfit and came to my apartment and told me like, this is a score line. Like there's, there's no score line that would surprise me from this match. Yeah. Like, like the only thing that's going to like really get me down over any sort of significant period of time would be like injuries or something. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's because it's like what we were talking about with the Sheffield match where it's like, because now I'm refusing to use their name on purpose. Um, but it's 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 like, you know, even if we've lost that match, there's a lot to take that's encouraging from it. But, yeah. you know, because of how we approached it. And I think that's that's just the interesting thing that I think Postacoglu is doing right now, where it's like there's such a consistent approach that it's, you know, you just feel good about what's being built. And the results, while they're important, aren't the, like, you know, the be-all, end-all that they were under Conte, under Mourinho, under, you know, not Nuno, but you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, like we said, it's a free hit. We can go out there and try to enjoy it, and I don't know. I, I don't think I, I'm not going to measure our success this season on the outcome of this match. Well, I'm not going to like. God, when's the last time we had a good? Is the last time we had a good match at the Emirates like fucking 2011? Like I, I don't know. Like what? Even when we were like rocking shit under Pochettino, that place has been a house of horrors for us. Like it's like, I mean, we never. I, I feel like we never have good matches there. So you know, I'm trying to like rein in the expectations, but you know, man, it would be something if we could dig something out there. That'd be great. I mean, I honestly, if we just avoid like a stupid red card, that would be cool too. Yeah, it would be nice if we don't get a red card in the first 20 minutes like we do in every other fucking match we play at the Emirates. So, But, I mean, everybody's been talking this week about how much more composed Christian Romero is this season. So, you know what that means. <laughs> We're going to put that one to the fucking test, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll believe that over a much larger sample when I see yeah. it. I've seen a lot of people talking about, like, oh, the vice captaincy seems to have, like, fit him really well. And I think it's like smart, like giving like the South American contingent of cap, like a voice in the leadership of this team. I also like, like you said, Michael, like I'm going to have to see like a couple months of him not getting serious, like cards before I believe it. But, you know, I mean, kudos to him. So. 
Um, yeah, so going into this match, uh, we had multiple questions, but one that was echoed uh, through a lot of people who listened to us, including first-time listener, um, someone I don't think has ever sampled the show before last our last episode, which is great, uh, Reno Wallabout. He uh, is asking, could we? Um, you know, could we? Brian, could we? Uh, what if we could? What if we could? What if we could? Weirder shit's happened in this world. Weird and beautiful shit happens in this world all the time. No one yeah. should think. Why it couldn't it happen weird, to us? But well, yeah. I've got a long list of reasons for that, Brian. But <laughs> I think it's huh. encouraging. You know, I think the whole could we thing, which is very widespread on Spurs internet. I think Spurs fans are taking the exact appropriate like tone of how to react to the season, <laughs> where it's like, yeah, it's, we're, we're fucking fun as shit. It's great. Like, why not? Like, let's just talk about dumb shit until we don't have a reason to talk about dumb shit. It's exactly like when Harry Kane started to be a good striker a couple of years ago. Like, it was so ridiculous that you couldn't help but lean into it, even after it was clearly, you know, a thing that you could pay attention to. So, I don't know. Like, fucking enjoy yourself while you can. Like, everything yeah. about this club has been miserable for the last couple of years. Like, why not have fun while you can? That, that, that That's what Anj said. You're right. And if... If Big Ange says it, you know, who are we to argue with with the big man himself? So, mm-hmm. Mike, Michael, have you come off your, your most controversial opinion was that uh, Big Ange was not a big boy? Have you have you come off that opinion or have you reinforced or have you dug in on that? I really think that the whole thing where people, like his whole manner is not of a big boy. Oh, I disagree with you. I think he's got extremely big boy energy. He has like, he has confidence, but he's like. He has the confidence of, like, you know, an experienced older person. It, it, it is an aura of belief in himself and the way he views the world that would not be weird. That does not, like, I don't know, I really do not feel the thing that I think that a lot of you are feeling, that he would punch Mikel Arteta in the mouth. Oh, I think he absolutely. I think Mikel Arteta would have to. That's not the vibe I get from him at all. See, Greg just thinks that because he's Australian. Like, that's that's where he gets it. He always says, mate, he would probably punch somebody. (laughs) He'll talk to the prime minister. Um, (laughs) No, no, I mean, you're, you're right, Michael. He has the confidence of a detective on a British mystery show who has been exiled to a small town because he told too much truth to his bosses in London. But also... Uh, and it turns out in that town, there are murders every third day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It is like, That's you know... Tottenham. Yeah, but, <laughs> If only. If, if, if only certain players were turning up dead every week at Tottenham. But I think he is a very, I think he is a very large boy. I think he has that imposing physical presence that he is like willing to use, but doesn't like over egg it. I don't know. I think he, I think he has like, I don't think we've had a bigger boy on the sidelines since uh, Martin Yole. I think he is, you know, and I think Martin Yole was, had more big boy energy. I want to be very clear about that. <laughs> but I, Because Martin Yole is an actual big boy. Like, well, Martin Yole was a big boy who, like, I think we could, like, we don't need to debate about this. Like, he would actually start fights with other managers. So th- yeah. that's not, like, that's clear. discussion. Yes. <laughs> I just think Big Ange would, is all I'm saying. <laughs> and I think he has powerful big boy energy, is is, is, what, I, is what I'm saying. And I, I'm very confident in that. I, I maintain that he can't be a big boy at 5'10". 
Like, well, just Brian, did. I have to say, you are, as the big boy of Wheelie Dealer Radio. You're the biggest boy here. You are the biggest <laughs> the, boy here. You have big boy energy on Wheelie Dealer I mean, Dealer. Greg is technically taller than me, I th- like, by an inch. Yeah, but, but like, I'm not a big boy. You're, no, you're, no, that's true. That's true. You're from Wisconsin or Missouri or yeah. wherever. I'm from the Midwest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Why does thought Brian simply eat the other two? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, why not? I mean, I've I've watched him eat cheese and kebab or what, what donor kebabs at like two in the morning. So you know, he is a certified big boy. Destroyed that kebab. It was so good. Was so good. It was. God, so, good. so 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 like you met somebody on the internet from like Spurs fandom and then you like spent time with them. Hang so out. Weird. You know, just Great these guys guy. I talk to every week. It's weird. <laughs> See, but now that Big Ange has normalized that friendship is okay, it's mm-hmm. it's all right to admit this stuff, guys. No, no, the, 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 the friendship between men needs to be celebrated, and, and and you know that Ange has like a whole thing he would he would lay out about that if someone asked him about it. Exactly, but also but not the cheesy Ted Lasso way in a very no. sincere, you know, heart touching way. Have you had this experience that you talk to someone about why you love Ange and what they will always immediately say if they're not like, you know, already plugged into soccer discourses? Oh, like Ted Lasso. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, no, it's that's not what it is. He actually knows what soccer is. He's a big boy and there's the vague threat of violence looming over him. So. Yeah, this has got to be the dumbest discussion I've had in a very long time, and I am responsible for all of it. So I, I appreciate it, guys, because we are all friends, and I can acknowledge our mutual friendship and love for one another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> our support uh, for each other, even as we go down weird rabbit holes, we. If, if there's anything up. Wheeler Dealer Radio is about, is supporting each other as we go down strange rabbit holes. Michael, quickly, while you're here, talk about like who on the team is into weird art cinema. <laughs> <laughs> you don't really have to do that. Um, I think it's time to wrap it up because this has gotten very strange and weirdly emotional. Uh, Michael, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, you can find me. Uh, I've got the, the you know, podcast double pivot podcast you can subscribe at patreon.com slash double pivot you can listen to our free episodes talked about like all the stats i was talking about here i sort of talked about from other teams on this week's episode Ugh, and uh, yeah and then uh you know obviously you can find me on linkedin at brett rainbow <laughs> brian where can people find you on the internet uh you can find me on twitter at brian underscore ashlock that's brian with a y or you can find me on blue ski at Brian Ashlock, no underscore. I I've been promoted. I am now the primary Brian Ashlock on Blueski. So just 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 you know, pitching your nose while you log into Blueski and you know, you leave out the underscore. Is that what's going on here? Right. I mean, it's a little bit more of a whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna argue with you. It's 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 sort of like that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. And on Blueski, uh, you can find me uh, at just Skipjack uh, because, you know, there's no imposters on there. So uh, follow us on Twitter uh, as our just our regular old podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Uh, for Michael, for Brian, for Ben, and of course for Brett Rainbow and LinkedIn, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>